Andy is, is speaking at a conference. Uh, he's coming back in town, I believe, I believe tonight or early tomorrow morning. Some of you uh, have asked me already, are we continuing Galatians? No, we're taking a break from Galatians. Uh, Sandy said, no, 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 Todd, just do whatever you want. Um, and I'll explain in a minute why, why I decided to, to do this. But let me just say uh, right off the bat, um, in all sincerity, that the opportunity to speak in this room to, to this group of men is extremely a great honor to me and is also very humbling. And, and this is why. I'm sure some of you probably have been told this before, but this, this group of men and, and this happening on Thursday mornings is really legendary throughout this city. It is actually one of the first things I ever heard about when I came to uh, uh, Memphis eight years ago. And I can hardly run into a person in this city that doesn't know about this. Uh, that, that is, a, that is a, a powerful statement of what God is doing and has done over the years through all of you and the witness that you are, are bearing to the city. And along those same lines, the other reason it's humbling to me is knowing a lot of you, having observed a lot of you, having been uh, uh, even from a distance or in ways that you didn't know mentored by a lot of you in this room. Uh, it, is, it is a great honor uh, to be before you this morning. Some of you think might be looking at our, our topic and saying, Todd, you've got uh, one chance to speak at Amen Bible Study. What in the world? What do you, why did you choose this? Why, why is this the thing that is on your heart? And actually, I would say to you that a couple weeks ago, I had a completely different direction that I was going uh, in regards to my teaching here this morning. And then, um, and then some events happened uh, in, the, in the life of my family that... Um, that really brought me to uh, remind me reminded me again of this very serious battle that I'm that I'm that I'm constantly seeing. Uh, for those of you that that don't that don't know me or don't know what I do, I'm have been for eight years the youth pastor here at Second Presbyterian Church, and and have been doing youth ministry for years and years bef- before that, twenty twenty three years to be exact, uh, in youth ministry, and so the whole. The whole aspect of, of Proverbs 5, if you've already opened your Bibles to it, has to, has, you know, the title is, you know, Warnings Against the Adulteress. And I see constantly this very deep attack that is occurring uh, in, our, in our teenagers, both, both guys and girls. I'm seeing it in our, in our college students. I'm seeing it in dads. Just this past week, a friend of mine who's a pastor in South Carolina is dealing with an elder in his church who has been, who has been taken out by the devil as a result of just deep uh, sexual sin that turned into an addiction that got out of hand that led to, to, uh, to really being played out in, in public. Um, and I'm, and I'm, seeing it, I'm seeing it ruin families. And, I, and I, this past week, I have two sons. I have a, have a 19-year-old son who's a senior and a, a 16-year-old son who's a junior. Um, and I, you know, like, like many of you who, who have children in this room, um, there's so much uh, that you want to guard them from when they're little and so much that you want to lead them towards as they grow up. And there's those, there's those moments, especially when they're teenagers, when your heart is just broken um, because you see... Um, that, that you don't have the ability to protect them from things you, you felt like you used to have the ability to do. And uh, that illusion of control is taken away from you. Um, 
And I had to deal with, uh, I had to deal with some things, Satan's attack through this, this secret battle of, of sexuality in my own family. And it's, and it's, it's just worn my soul out. Um, and and I, in the midst of it, I see my own sin. I see how I've been an accomplice to these things and, and have allowed Satan a foothold in certain uh, places in my home. Um, and this attack is serious because, as we learn in 1 Corinthians 6, it's not just something that's outside the body, but it's, but it's something that, and it's not just something that's against your body, it's something that's connected to, to your very soul. Because in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks, uh, talking about fleeing from sexual immorality, it says that if you unite yourself with a prostitute, Paul writes, don't you know that you're one with her? Which is really was, it was intended for us to be one with our wives and, and, and ultimately to be one with the Lord. Because he goes on to say, but if you unite yourselves with the Lord, you're one with Him in spirit. So this issue of sexuality really is something that, that goes beyond just kind of this, our external behavior and really strikes at our soul, really strikes at who we are. And, uh, and, and it takes away intimacy from the Lord. And it destroys intimacy with our wives, it destroys intimacy with each other in our own friendships and our own relationships. And this attack is insidious and it's growing greater and greater all the time and it's getting more and more sneaky in the way that it comes into our lives and comes into our homes. But another reason I want us to, uh, to look at this proverb in particular is that uh, I don't think we just need to be on the defense. In fact, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not a fan of just... And, and if you look at what God wants us to do as we advance the kingdom, and even as I say those words, advance the kingdom, we're not just supposed to sit back and be on the defense. You know, there's that, that, um, that verse that uh, after Peter um, finally gets something right, you know, Jesus says, who do you people say that I am? And, and, and finally, uh, you know, in all of the Gospels, finally Peter gets an answer correct. And Jesus says, you know, Peter, um, you're, you're right, and the Holy Spirit's given you this, and, and on people like you, and on you, I'm going to build my church. And it says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Generally speaking, I think a lot of us have in our minds that, att- that hell is attacking us and we're, we're guarding it off, we're, we're defending. But that's not, what the, that's not how the verses, that's not how the sentence goes. It's not that, that our gates are being attacked and they'll hold. It says that the gates of hell won't be able to stand against us. That the church will advance. And the gates of hell won't be able to, to, to stop it. And uh, so th- as we look at this passage this morning uh, in depth, I don't want us to just think of it as a, a defense, because you're going to see in the first 15 verses where there's really a sense of, of defending, which is important. But there really is an attack here. There really is something that we're supposed to do where we're, where we're going out, where we're, we're on the offense. And I, and I want us to see that very clearly. Before we read Proverbs and and open up in prayer. I just want to give a little background to make sure that we have in our minds uh, some context for what we're seeing here in, in Proverbs chapter 5. You know, obviously, most of us know that Proverbs was written predominantly by King Solomon. And, uh, and, it, and, it's, and it's some great wisdom literature. I mean, if, if you've spent any time in the Proverbs, you have instantly recognized, I think especially as a man, sometimes I've challenged our our high school students to read through Proverbs on a, on a regular basis. And the guys always come back and say, man, Todd, this is awesome stuff. And the girls come back and say, can you give me something else? You know, there's not a whole lot of relationships. It's just, it's stuff. It's nuggets of life. But, and, and they work in life. But 
This is something we've got to understand. Even as we look at this passage this morning, this, this wisdom for living is wisdom for living the kingdom life, not the American life, not, not, not the earthly life. Now, it, it works in a lot of cases. In fact, um, I've read several times where, where non-Christian or unbelieving economists and historians have wondered in their writings if some of the success that, that the Jewish people have, have uh, had throughout history in business and in life and in government, all, some of their success is not directly attributed to the fact that, that, that memorizing Proverbs and knowing Proverbs was just a part of their, of their culture. That, that having to know that since they were a little boy, just reading over these things and being told over and over these things from Proverbs, that those, those principles just sunk in to their lives, to their culture, the way of being. And that, that might be what attributes uh, some of the success. That's what economists and uh, historians have written in regards to this. But we need to remember as we look at this, this ultimately isn't for uh, you know, nuggets for business or nuggets for relationship. This is really for this this kingdom life. And it's important for us to realize that this kingdom life can't be confused with American democracy and, and economics. I know, and, and, and in fact, this is a direction I was thinking about going was, was those passages at the end of Philippians where Paul talks about all of us learning to be content in whatever situation God gives us. Um, and, and I know in a room like this that, that there's a lot of worry and concern. And I feel it, it, it personally uh, in my own life, in my own family, about where, where the economy is going, what's happened with things, and, 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 and friends of ours that don't have jobs, and, and are we gonna, is this thing going to end in a couple years? Is it going to end in, in you know, 10 years, 20 years? Thinking about that, worrying about that, wondering what's going to happen with our kids, and worrying about the rising expenses of college, and, and all of those things. And there's a tendency sometimes, because there is so much of the Judeo-Christian ethic that exists in the American culture, American government, all of that, and we've connected that in a lot, that sometimes we begin to, to think that, that what could really be best for us is to make sure that, that the American way of life somehow is connected to the Christian way of life. And, and I want to say, but you know, that's great, that'd be a great byproduct, but we don't have to have it that way. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts or you look throughout Scripture, you'll find hardly a place where what the men and women of God were facing uh, in, in the government that was over them had anything to do with the kingdom of God advancing. In other words, they weren't trying to make it happen through the government, through economics. It was kind of like, hey, whatever government you give us, whatever economic situation you give us, that's fine. We're advancing the kingdom. We don't, we don't need, and, and this is true, and we've got we to grab a hold of this. We don't need certain economic situations to advance the kingdom of God. We don't. We don't need certain people in government in order to advance the kingdom of God. We don't. History proves it. Our Bibles show it to us. And the good news for us this morning as we think about advancing the kingdom is this. Listen, to the good news for you this morning is that someday there is, a, there is a kingdom that's going to come that is going to replace the kingdom of America. Someday there's a kingdom that's coming that is going to replace the kingdom of America. And here's some more good news. Recession and health care legislation cannot stop the advance of this coming kingdom. It can't. And, and let me tell you even more good news. 
You are the men that God is going to use to bring this kingdom. You, you are members of, of, this, of, this, of this coming kingdom. And, and you're the ones that God wants to mobilize throughout the economy, throughout the government, throughout this city, throughout this country. And, and you're the ones who are going to usher that in. And, and so God is giving us in His Scripture um, kingdom living. And so as we look at this proverb, that's, that's really what we're trying to get a hold of here. Now Solomon understood these priorities. Turn it, you know, hold your finger there in Proverbs 3 and flip over to 1 Kings. I know many of you are familiar with this passage. Solomon is asked by God, or told by God, hey, hey, ask whatever you wish and, and I'll give it to you. You're about to be king, Solomon. You're about to rule over this economy, this government, this culture. What do you want? I'll give it to you. And Solomon, as we know, says, I want wisdom. I want you to give me discernment, which is a priority of the kingdom of God. And listen to what what God says as we pick it up. I'm just going to read verses 10 through 12. The Lord was pleased, 1 Kings 3. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you wise and a, a wise and a discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So what Solomon asked for, he says, and, and, and think about it, it's a choice. He made a choice. God says, what do you want? And instead of choosing wealth, instead of choosing wealth, he chose wisdom. He says, God, I, I want you to give me your mind. Instead of choosing power over his enemies, he said, I want you to give me wisdom. Instead of choosing health, he says, I want you to give me wisdom. And as we, as we read this chapter in Proverbs to realize that the priority of the kingdom of God is, is what does God want? The priority, the top priority of the kingdom is not our health, is not our wealth, is not our power. Those things are finally unnecessary for ushering in the kingdom. And, and, it, and, and it's a beautiful thing. So let's read Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 23. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may, may, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to, to, her, to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to to their instructions. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, 
running water from your own well? Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them alone be yours, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sins hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Let me open us in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we look at the living Word of God, words for kingdom living, I pray, Father, that You would give us clarity by the power of Your Holy Spirit and that that clarity would go through our minds, through our intellect, and into our hearts, into our souls, and into our lives. Only You can make that happen, Father. So we wait upon You for this. In Your Son's name, Amen. If you were to divide up this passage and, and, and really make an outline of it that was designed around the way it was written, you would have what they call a, a chiastic or a, a mirror pattern. You kind of have point A and then point B and then point B and then point A. Okay, so you got some of this thing that kind of mirrors each other. And you'll see that a lot in the Proverbs. Sometimes you see it in the book of Hebrews. And really, if you were, gonna, if you were just going to outline it straight like the verses are written, you'd have, you'd have point A, or the first point would be verses 1 through 6, and you could entitle that, Avoid the Adulteress. And then the, the next point would be point B, and point B, verses 7 through 14, would be do not give to others what belongs to you. Do not give to others what belongs to you. And then you'd have another point B, kind of mirroring that, kind of playing right off that. Okay, another point B would be verses 15 through 19, which would say, drink from your own well. Drink from your own uh, uh, spring. And then at the end, at kind of the end of the, of the proverb, he goes back to the theme that he started at. Okay, he, he caps it off or he's rounding it out. And so it's a, another point A. It kind of mirrors the point that was, that was made in the beginning. So another point A, verses 20 through 23, why be captive of the adulteress? And that's how, if you were going to outline it that way, just wanted to make that clear because I just want to make two points this morning. <laughs> and I would rather take this structure, go through it verse by verse, really looking at kind of a defense, a defensive stance against this secret battle for our souls and our families and our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren and, and then also an attack. What does it mean to advance the kingdom here? So if you're taking notes, my first point is this. Do everything you can to avoid sexual immorality. Do everything you can to avoid sexual immorality. I sat around in my office yesterday for probably 30 minutes trying to think of words strong enough to say, get away from anything that has to do with sexual immorality. I mean, steer clear from it. And I, I just, I, I kept, I kept, I can't, I kept stumbling over it. So the, the, the point is not strong enough, but Let's look at the passage, and maybe that'll, that'll bring home the point to us. In verses 1, through, uh, one and 2, it, just start, it, it takes the wisdom, the whole concept of, hey, son, you've got to get wisdom. You've got to know this, this stuff. You've, you've got to be wise. You have to be discerning. You have to have the, the kingdom words for your life. 
because the, the, anything else really is stupidity. So right away in verses 1 and 2, what, what the, the King Solomon is saying is this. Hey, listen, this wisdom is going to guide you for life. And anything outside of that is just stupid. You're, you're not, you're, you're, it's, it's folly. It doesn't, it doesn't have any value. And so as he's going to go on into this talk about sexual immorality, he's going to say, hey, you're going to be enticed by these things, but don't lose track of the fact that you know in your mind, and you might even know in your heart, that God's Word is the only thing that's ever worked. And any time you've gone off on your own understanding, as it says in Proverbs 3, you're a mess. It doesn't work. So to contrast that, it's like God's wisdom, stupidity. Those, that's the way it works. And then in verses 3 through 6, I love the contrast there as it talks about the lips of an adulteress. Let me just say this too. Literally, literally there, adulteress really means strange woman. And just so we're clear, clear on that, it means a woman other than your wife. And some of you, some of you in here, obviously, are not married. But probably, probably there's a wife out there somewhere. You're hoping. <laughs> there's a wife out there somewhere. And, and, and I would say to you, so any other woman besides the woman that God has for you. Any, and that, and that, means, that means through, through any kind of uh, context, through, through media, through the internet, through TV, through uh, magazines, um, through movies that are, that are on your hotel room TV, through... Uh, relationships at work that, that you know, hey, I'm, I'm probably crossing boundaries here in the way that I'm flirting or the way that I'm fantasizing about this woman. Uh, and of course, ultimately, in any kind of affair, any kind of trying to find your, your uh, intimacy satisfied or your, your sexuality satisfied through another woman other than your wife. That's the strange woman. That's the adulteress, literally there. And, and I love, right, you know, the beauty of, of Scripture <laughs> is that it's so dead honest. Her, her, her lips drip honey. It's, it's enticing. It definitely feels good. It wouldn't have the power that it has if, if that wasn't what, uh, what was available for us. And, f- and for us as men, it is, it is, it is strong. The, the whole issue of lust is, is very, very strong. And, and Satan knows it. Satan is throwing things at us in a way to entice us and to strike right at the court of, of who we are as, as godly men who've been created by God to be sexual beings, who've been created by God to have a sex drive. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But to, to think about this contrast of, yes, it is... It is uh, it feels good. It, we wouldn't have a problem with it if it didn't feel good, if it didn't feel like we could sustain this incredible pleasure. And, and, yet, and yet any of us in here who have lived any number of years have experienced that moment where, where through sexual failure in, in sexual sin, we have known emptiness. In fact, in an attempt to get full, in an attempt to satisfy a longing inside of us, we've actually found ourselves later with more emptiness than we began. We feel more empty. And we wonder, what in the world, how did that, you know, what did that happen? And so it actually took life away from us. And that's the contrast we see here in verses 3 through 6. 
That it, it, it is sweet and her, her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end it's just bitter. And it, and it leads to death and it leads to destruction. And then, and then look what it says in, in verses 7 and 8. I love this. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Going back to that whole concept of, uh, of wisdom and paying attention and not getting you know, moved away by this strange woman. Keep a path far from her and do not go near the door of her house. A lot of times um, I'll talk to high school students or college students and they'll talk to me about their fight against sexual immorality or sexual sin or sexual temptation. <laughs> and as soon as they're using the word fight, I'm like, hey, you know, I kind of stop them and say, hey, listen, you got this all wrong. The Bible doesn't tell us to fight. The Bible, yeah, the Bible says run. <laughs> this isn't one of those things like where you go, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go in there and be godly in the hotel room and I will just try to... Uh, I will try to make sure that uh, I'm resisting the temptation. No, it doesn't say resist it. It says says get out of there. In fact, you look all over Scripture and that's all you're going to find. You look at the story of Joseph. Ronnie Stevens uh, spoke to uh, a bunch of uh, church officers going through the the story of Joseph. And you get to that story of uh, Potiphar's wife. And uh, Joseph's response is to, is to just run. He doesn't have a conversation. He doesn't say, hey, listen, you know, this probably isn't a good idea. You know, he doesn't do any of that. He, 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 she's holding on his jacket, and he's like, you can have that. I'm, I'm out of here. And that's what we're called to do. And you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and in verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. It says, it says get out of there. And that's what it's saying in these verses. Don't go near her house. Stay clear of it completely. Think about that for a second. You and I, as leaders in our, in our own life, and in, in a lot of us in our families, in our extended families, in our businesses, we are supposed to be about the business of not going anywhere near sexual temptation. Avoiding it at all costs. That your path wouldn't even go in that direction. And, and, and we've got to begin to grasp the fact that, and that's what I would say, when I, you know, when I confess to you that, that uh, some of what I've had to deal with in my own home with my own sons in this last week, I have to look at my own life and say, Todd, where have you not steered your family clear of this strange woman's door? Where have you, by not keeping watch of where the path that your family is going, have, have wandered your sons near sexual temptation. And you were supposed to steer them clear from that, to avoid it at all costs. And that's, as we go into this next section, that's, that's the command. It's not fight. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't a time to, to war against this. This is a time to retreat and get out of there. This isn't time to engage the enemy. This is the time to get away from the enemy. And we need to realize that when it comes to, to sexual temptation. Verses 9 through 14 are very powerful. Very powerful. It says, if you go near this strange woman and you fall into her trap, you might have given your strength to others, your best strength, your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. In the end, your life will groan when your flesh and body are spent. 
Think about that. As some of you know, this, this, this sin, this secret battle, has the ability to destroy, to destroy you. I mean to destroy you. This has the ability to destroy your sons and your daughters. I mean destroy. It has the ability to destroy families. We've watched it. We see it. The destruction is, is absolutely devastating. And, and the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon here, he says, listen, this is going to, this is going to go after your strength. Any kind of strength and power you have, it is going to pull the life right out of it. This is going to go after your, your time. It says your toil. It'll, it'll go after your time. It'll take time away from you. This will go after your work. This will go after your wealth. This will steal your money from you. And this will go after your health. This will steal your health. Even if you don't end up with a sexually transmitted disease, it'll steal your health. It'll, t- it'll take away things from you that give you a healthy life. And then verse 14 is, is something that is, uh, it may be my, whole, my favorite verse in the whole thing. I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. It will shame you. It is the devil's desire to shame us before everyone. We want this to be private. We think sexual sin is private. And that's the, that's the draw of it. And Satan says, yeah, come here. It's private. Nobody will know. In fact, I'll give you the internet where you don't even have to interact with another human being. It'll be private. It'll be private. It'll be private. And his whole goal is to shame us publicly. To bring utter shame so that we can't recover and we just are lost in guilt and shame and just go back to the, to the same temptation because we're just trapped by that. I would say to all of you that our problem is we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough as men to flee. We're not doing enough as men to flee. I would, I would challenge you to think seriously this week about what safeguards you have over your media that comes into your home, your TV, your internet. Think seriously. Talk to some people. Figure it out. You need to, you need to guard your family. Those of you that are, that are grandfathers in here, talk to your sons and daughters. Find out what kind of safeguards they have. When you go to on business trips, figure out a plan. Figure out a plan. I, I try with all my being to, to find hotels, it's getting harder and harder, that just don't offer those movies. That just, just, I, I, I'm fleeing. I don't want them in my hotel room. And if I can't, if I, if I can't find that, then I, then I have a friend call the hotel before I get there and on my reservation say that they want the movies removed. You can get that. You can get them blocked. So by the time I show up, it's blocked. So at least, at least... I have to go through the embarrassment of walking down to the front of the front desk and saying, hey, can you put the movies back up? At least there's some kind of roadblock that makes me go, wait a second, Todd, you're going to your death. This is stupid. Finding ways to... I, I, don't, I don't personally... I don't have, I don't have the password uh, for the, uh, the safeguards on our computer at home. My wife does. I have no clue what it is. 
because I, I don't trust myself. I'm supposed to flee. I'm not supposed to fight. I'll let my wife fight that one for me. <laughs> and let her have it. Your relationships. Do you have accountability in your relationships? Are there men that would notice if you're getting a little out of hand just in, in, just in flirting in your businesses? Is some, would somebody say something to you? Some of you are just gregarious by nature. It's just your nature. And, and Satan wants to trap you with that. And then, again, what do you allow in your home and around your sons as far as TV and movies and music? What do you allow around your children? Think through that. Don't let Satan have a foothold. Don't let him have a foothold. All right, let's get on the offensive for the last 20 minutes here. I like the offensive a lot better than defense. The other point I want us to get out of this as we look at these, these last uh, verses, last eight verses, here's the second point. Do everything you can to champion kingdom sexuality. Do everything you can to champion kingdom sexuality. I can get pretty excited about this. Sex was created by God. This, in, this, this drive, this enticement we have, this comes from the Lord. This is not from Satan. I pound that into high school students all the time. Because I'm sick and tired of Satan claiming sexual pleasure as his. I'm like, baloney! <laughs> sexual pleasure was created by God. And he's got something so much better and so much more pleasurable than anything the world has to offer. And I'm sick of him stealing it. Not only that, I tell our guys, we're just with our, with our college guys and our high school guys, God created you with your sex drive. I'll say, you know what, the reason it's so hard to stop when you start kissing on a girl, is because God didn't intend for it to stop. How cool is that? <laughs> now, now steer clear from it, you know? Because they're like, how far is too far? I'm like, when you ask that question, then you're in trouble, you know? You are, you've got problems. Because God wanted it to, the ball to keep rolling there, keep, keep on going. You know, uh, Mark Casey, who was a junior high director here um, uh, eight years ago, he, he, got, uh, he, he found his wife here in Memphis and they went to this, this marriage conference. It was either right before they were married or right after they were married. Um, and uh, they're at this conference and the guy, was a speaker, saying, he said, he said uh, men, get out your notebooks. And so all the, all the husbands or soon-to-be husbands get out their notebooks. He goes, I'm going to tell you what women really want. And he's up there and he says, this is what women really want. They want you to bring them flowers. They want you to write them notes. They want you to give them cards. You know, he's going down this. They want you to empty the dishwasher after supper and load it. You know, he's going through those lists and, you know, the guys are just, you know, they're, they're helpless, you know, because the wives are around and the wives are cheering and everything. And, and uh, they're just like, you know, okay, okay, you know. And, uh, and he gets done with this list, super long list. And then he says, all right, all right, women, I'm going to tell you what men want. And, of course... All the wives are just like, okay, you know, they're ready. They don't even have to be told to get their notebooks out. They're ready. And this is what, this is what he says. He goes, show up naked and bring food. <laughs> and of course, instantly, all the, all the guys are like, yeah, you know. And man, listen, that's the way God created us. This is, this is not... This is not from Satan. This is from the Lord. And, and sex is a very important part of a godly marriage. Sex is a very important part of a godly marriage. Two words in that sentence that are key. Important. Sex is important to marriage. 
You're, you're going to be in trouble in your marriage if you haven't learned how to please your wife sexually. You're going to be in trouble. It's also a part. Marriage is not just sex. You're going to be in trouble in your marriage if you think that, that, the, that, the, that a good marriage is defined only by your sexual life. But it is, it is important and a part. I mean, you've, got to, you've got to have those two things together. Now, verses 15 through 17. Again, the, the, the honesty that exists in these verses is beautiful. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Question is for all of us, where are we going to be satisfied? And those words there are beautiful. The, 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 the images of, of fresh water as opposed to bitter gall in the earlier verses. Suppose instead of dripping honey that turns bitter, it's fresh water. It's, it's, it's refreshing. It's, it's something that's a delight. Um, it, it's something that brings life. It says that drink water from your own sister. And, it, and it's yours alone. There's this sense of intimacy. There's a sense of safety. There's no shame. Where there's shame in verse 14, there's no shame within a godly marriage. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome thing. My friend, my friend Andy, who's that, that pastor in South Carolina, um, he said, you know, it's, he said sex inside of marriage and outside of marriage is, is like a roller coaster in some senses. The way, the way that sex inside of marriage and outside of marriage, can, it can feel the same. You know, you ride a roller coaster, and whether or not you have the safety bar down or the safety bar up, I mean, you're going on the same path, right? And, and if you have the safety bar up on a roller coaster, like it doesn't come down. I don't know if you've ever been. That happened to me one time on this rickety old roller coaster in South Carolina um, where, the, where the lap bar didn't come down. And I'm kind of like, hey, as we're driving out, like... You know, thankfully, it, thankfully it wasn't one of those that turns upside down. But every time we were, you know, going over a hill, I was like, oh, you know, just trying to hold on. And you know what? I survived. And you can. You can survive a roller coaster with the lap bar a little bit, a little bit loose. Uh, you might not, though. You know? You, you, might, you might fall out and die or get seriously injured. And, and probably you'll, you'll enjoy the ride and you might come to the end of it having made it and go, oh, that was a crazy, awesome ride. But, but you, you know, there was a lot of fear. You didn't know what was going to happen. But when that lap bar is down, you're not, you're not worried about, well, you might, some of us are. But <laughs> you know, you're going you're to get to at the end. And that's the difference between sex outside of marriage with this strange woman and sex inside of marriage. You don't, you don't know what the damage is going to be. You have no control over it. But there's safety in the midst of, of, of your own intimacy. And then verses 18 and 19. Man, this is, this is awesome. How cool that God puts these verses in the Bible. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Godly sex is good sex. Godly sex is good sex. The worldly sex fails. And this is why. Worldly sex is attached to the forbidden and the physical. That's where the excitement comes. And, and let me tell you why it fails. Because it, when it's attached to the forbidden, when, when, when the excitement of sex, I tell college students all this all, this all the time, and I've, and I've watched men and women get in trouble after they're married as a result of this. If, if, you're, if your sexual arousal is tied to the forbidden, tied to crossing boundaries that you shouldn't cross then what happens is as soon as you say I do, this is how nasty Satan is, just a jerk. The second you say I do at the altar, the forbidden is taken away. 
So you've been going too far with this girl, I'll say to a college student, but you, what, you've, what you've done is you've built your, your sexual intimacy and excitement around what is forbidden about crossing lines. And then both of you going to get married. You say, well, I'm going to get married, so it doesn't matter as much. You get to the altar, you say, I do, and instantly Satan pulls the rug out from underneath you. The, the, the core of what your sexual intimacy has been is just gone instantly. And you wonder what happened to your, your, your sexual life. You wonder what happened. It was, it was attached to the forbidden. And the only way to recover it is to keep crossing lines. And that's why guys who, who you know, after one or two years will come to me and say, one or two years of marriage, will come to me and say, Todd, why am I struggling with lust and masturbation again? I, I, I didn't know this pro- would be a problem. And I said, well, you, probably because you were, you were attaching sexual uh, excitement to the forbidden. And then it was taken from you, and now you have to, to drum up the forbidden again. It's also attached to the physical. So you're just aroused physically. You're, you're not thinking of a person. That's, that's, again, Satan's insidious way with this, with this Internet and movies. We objectify women. They're objects. We, we don't think of them as people. We don't have to interact with people in order to access it. And so it takes the humanity out of it, which is what, what Satan... So finally that fails because you have to keep striving for more and more. It can never, never satisfy you. But godly sex starts with the person and is attached to affirmation. Godly sex starts with a person and is attached to aff- affirmation. Look, flip over to Song of Songs, just a few uh, books over. Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, chapter 5. Excuse me, chapter 4. Chapter 4 of, of Song of Songs. I, no matter how you look at it, this is, this is the guy's wedding night. I, I don't looked at a lot of different scholars who want to say a lot of different things about it. and I'm sure there's other principles to learn here, but this, I don't know how this is not about sex. <laughs> and how great is that? God, it's God's. God owns it. It's, he, gets to, he gets to claim it. But look as it talks about the wedding night. Look at how it starts in Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Stop right there. Godly sex starts with with this husband looking into the eyes of his wife. Worldly sex starts with the body and maybe gets to the eyes. So that, so that godly sex, you're making love to a person. You're affirming a person. You're not just satisfying yourself. And then it goes on, and, and you'll see, it goes from his eyes and it goes down her whole body in a way that we wouldn't read this passage in church probably. <laughs> Because it, it, it would, it would feel, we'd all feel uneasy. And, and God is saying, hey, this is, this is, it belongs to me. This sex belongs to me. But it starts with, with a person. And, and when, you build, if, when you build sex around affirmation, affirming a person, then sex gets better and better and better. And it doesn't matter how old you are. And when, when all of us, because of the fall of sin, all of us, our bodies are deteriorating. Our wives' bodies are deteriorating. I have young people say, well, what do you, how can it possibly get better? I'm like, man, you have, you're, you know, you're, you're caught up in the physical and you're caught up in the forbidden. And so what you're chasing as far as sex is doomed to failure. But when you think about intimacy with a person and you think about affirming her, doing everything you can to affirm her, oh, man, you're, you're, the, the best part of your sexual life is yet to come. Listen to my, uh, my friend Andy wrote this. Um, 
and I, I'm not big on reading quotes, but I'll try to read it in a way that, that doesn't lose your attention because this is powerful. Biblical sexuality is looking at the other person first, not at their body first. Every other kind of sexuality starts with looking at the body first and then maybe working up to the eyes if you get there. What that means is that you are making love to a person, not having sex with somebody else. That will give you all the parameters that you need. If you keep sexuality in the mindset of making love to a person and not just having sex, then that helps you to understand that your sexuality will be based on whether or not you are affirming the other person. The point of your sexuality is to affirm your love physically for the other person. People ask me a lot, what are the parameters? And what can we do sexually? I typically respond that there are a lot of things that Paul said that are permissible, but not all are beneficial. So the way that you tell is by asking yourself, do my actions affirm the other person? Is is it affirming to the other person, and are they feeling affirmed and loved? Then go for it. I'm going right for the jugular, right off the bat, but it's so principally driven. You are making love to each other, not just having sex. The reason that is so important is because when your bodies change, and when you don't look as good anymore, and when all of those stresses of life come onto you, then you don't lose your sexuality in the process. Your sexuality is not tied to someone's body or a physical aspect. It's tied to affirming your love for an individual, a person. So your sexuality won't diminish if you build your sexuality on that premise. In fact, it increases. It grows better and grows more intimate. And that's God's design. That's God's design. And, and brothers, this is something that we've, we've, got to, we've got to preach. We've got to get that word out there. Let me say quickly and then, and then jump to my last point because... We're running out of time. Let me just finish out the verses. Verses 20 through 23 really talk about this freedom versus captivity. You know, a lot of times we think we're hidden. You know, our sin's hidden. Boy, it makes it clear, doesn't it, in uh, verse 21. Nothing's hidden. Nothing's really hidden. You know, and sometimes we try to hide ourselves in our sin, whether it's sexual sin or other sin, and we're just as stupid. Every time I read uh, Genesis uh, 3, the whole thing where God goes looking for Adam in the garden after he sins. What a goofy thing Adam's hiding. <laughs> you know? It's so ridiculous. And yet, I find myself hiding sometimes. You know, like, oh, I'll hide from God on this one, you know, and make sure my Bible's not in the room while I'm committing this sin. You know, it's, what is that about? And in verse 21 just exposes that. You know, in speaking of the garden, think about this in verses, chapter 2, verse 25. It says they were naked and they knew no shame. There was nothing to hide. There was freedom. There was not captivity. There was freedom. They were naked and knew no shame. Now listen, brothers. As we close things out, let me just say this. We, we are not doing enough to champion kingdom sexuality. We're not doing enough to flee. We're also not doing enough to champion kingdom sexuality. Let me tell you what we need to do. We need to do a better job of affirming our wives. We need to recommit in our minds, what does it mean to really make my wife feel affirmed? To look at her as a person and to figure out how can I show her that she is loved and cared for? How can I find that out? If you need to get a hold of books, get a hold of books. And and I'm not just talking about physically, sexually. I am. I'm saying probably if you've got a problem in your sex life, it's probably you. We need to figure that out. But we need to figure out, because women are much more complicated than that. I wish God hadn't made it that way, but there's some good reason behind it, I'm sure. But, (laughs) But we've got to figure out 
how to affirm our wives. And we've got to show our sons and our grandsons and our daughters and our granddaughters how to do that. They've got to see it. And they've got to see us talk about it. So we have to have conversations. If you're single in here, I'd say, what's your response here? I'm saying hold out for the best because it is the best. And everything else will be bitter gall. Everything else will seek to destroy you and steal your best years and steal your money and steal your time and shame you and trap you. And for those of us who have sons, have grandsons, brothers, we've got to teach this. We've got to talk about it. We have to claim it. We cannot let Satan be the only voice when it comes to sexuality. <laughs> I've heard, I ask kids all the time. Some of you might be embarrassed that I might have asked your sons. I don't ask girls this, but I ask guys this all the time. Hey, when did you get the sex talk and what was it like? <laughs> Men, sometimes we have given some of the lamest sex talks I've ever heard to our sons. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. I've never felt more awkward than sitting down with my sons and saying, okay, okay. But you know what? I want to keep, I want to keep talking about it because this belongs to God. And I want to champion kingdom sexuality because I'm going to advance against the gates of hell on this. I'm calling all of you to take this seriously, to defend and flee, and to advance. Advance kingdom sexuality against the gates of hell and let us be the loudest voice when it comes to sex. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You and praise You that that You are a God who loves us so much that You have sought to just heap grace upon grace, that you, You pour out on us blessing. And not only that, Father, You give us wisdom. And Lord, Your kingdom is coming. And it is a beautiful kingdom. And whatever we face today, Lord, we can, we can take great peace in knowing the gates of hell cannot stop this. Pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Thanks man. Oh, you're welcome, man. Hey, is there anybody get a copy of that quote? Yeah. Did you email it to me by chance? You can have it. I, I got it on my, yeah, I got it on my computer.